time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. Our podcast. <laughs> Here we are live. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah. Two guys in their basement. Two guys in their basement. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how the world no, gets started? No distractions, right? That's, so how that's, it. Worlds. that's how you change yeah. the world. Well, that's what's been moving the markets, right? So we were told. <laughs> right? um, Maybe more than two well, guys. Welcome but. to Wall Street Bets. Uh, we're here today right. to talk about right. <laughs> right. the next short squeeze <laughs> is Neil. We don't have blonde hair, but uh, we we really yeah. are the masterminds behind Wall Street Bets. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite, not quite. Yeah. Where do you want to go first today? You want to talk about the market first? Wow, wow. What is there that uh, we could say? Um, uh, this is. Stop. I mean, is it going to continue to go crazy forever? Is what it feels like. Obviously, it will stop. But yeah, yeah. This is really a strange time. I mean, it has been since the recession ten years ago, with all the heroic stimulus. The Fed's balance sheet's over seven point four trillion. We're going to reach probably thirty trillion in debt. Oh, sorry, um, put, the, put those numbers in comparison to what? Seven, seven point. Yeah, yeah. A year ago, this time before coronavirus, the Fed's balance sheet was four trillion. Um, before the Great Financial Crisis, it was around um, six hundred billion. So you know, it's um, grown in quantum fashion each time we've had a crisis and uh, now it just seems that the guardrails are completely off that you know um and they've committed to you know not raising rates and to providing as much stimulus as is quote needed unquote um given the perilous state of the real economy and so I, I asked you once before do you think we'll reach 10 10 trillion in stimulus Oh, gosh. Well, we're almost there already. I mean, a year ago, the debt was around 20 trillion. It's 28 and change now. So to, it's what, really remarkable. The public yeah. debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's extraordinary. And, uh, you know, I think the U.S. kind of like Japan has the ability and like uh, Great Britain historically has had to withstand a high debt to GDP ratio. But it's still um absolutely saps the vitality out of any um, economic growth or recovery. And as the debt's grown, you can even see it. Each successive recovery from the recessions of 2000 to 2002, the recession of 2009, each one has been um, of a much lower amplitude, much weaker, um, because they're, we're saddled with all this debt that has to be serviced. And I think a lot of it is optical, right? You, <laughs> if you can roll the debts forward, you just keep rolling them forward, you know? Don't pay them off. But uh, I wonder, Neil, if there's not a kind of sell the news built into this, right? Um, margin debts skyrocketed. It's the highest it's ever been. It grew by over $60 billion. I hear people say like margins up partly just because of our, our good friends over at Robinhood. How much of mm -hmm. that can you actually attribute to this little site that gets so much more attention than it would seem fidelity these days? Yeah. Well, look, 10 million new brokerage accounts or more were added last year and it's, things are breaking like, uh, you know, um, 
last week with the GME stuff. And, you know, as I mentioned to you before, we owned a little bit of Bed Bath & Beyond from the lows, and that was caught up in the short squeeze too, not as directly as AMC and uh, GameStop and Nokia, but uh, similarly. And, you know, the back office at TD Ameritrade, where we clear a lot of our trades, was breaking down. The allocations were messed up. And it was across all the board, Fidelity and Charles Schwab, the big clearing houses, were having trouble processing the volume of trades and especially options. So um, maybe this will help. The pipes, the plumbing will get better maybe. But uh, in essence, it's been remarkable. And even uh, countries like South Korea and, of course, India have added record numbers of uh, new brokerage accounts in the retail space. So it's sort of a global phenomenon. I think it's right surfing this wave of uh, global stimulus too. That's making the trading easier and low interest rates making borrowing easier. So there's right now a lot of easy money. But I do wonder if there's a reality check, you know, as the vaccines roll out and people do return to work and we get to see the real state of the economy. And I think it just will be a slower recovery, of course, than many anticipate. It's not going to be a shape recovery? No. <laughs> No, I, it's like a square root, Neil. We have, we've had the V and now it's flat, right? Right. So we'll see. It's, well, uh, um, I was very surprised. I was on Clubhouse last night and people were talking about, and this morning, just for a few minutes. And I, I dipped into some rooms, literally just kind of surfing for a couple minutes each. And people are talking about negative interest rates at their bank. Mm -hmm. and how they're a little worried about when depositing money, it's going to cost them now. Um, it was a really strange conversation to be hearing, right? Like it's not something mm -hmm. I imagined as a kid. It's not something you imagined as a kid. No way. No. And, right? you know, I don't know if you remember this, but about three years ago, there was a strange case of the Danish man who has a negative interest rate. He's, yeah, Denmark. And uh, he's uh, got a slightly negative interest rate, like uh, 0.45 or something on his mortgage. And so every quarter about $75 of his mortgage balance gets erased by the bank. I'm very so, confused by this. Yeah, so all of his mortgage payments are purely principal. Yeah, but why would the bank do this? I think he had a floating rate mortgage and uh, one of those odd, uh, um, oh. you know, not, they don't, the uh, European mortgages, of course, are very. Never happened, happens. Yeah, and so it was linked to probably the government's two-year or five-year debt, and that went negative, and so did the mortgage. I mean, he was the most prominent example. I'm sure he wasn't uh, solo, but a small possibility that that would happen here, right? It made uh, everyone think that's very interesting. I mean, the whole thing, we've got 6,000 years of interest rate history. You know, um, the great Homer Silla, who wrote the history of interest rates, went back even to Babylonian and Sumerian times where they were lending grain at interest for more grain in response. I mean, this was before coinage even. And never a negative interest rate, which is a confounding thing, um, have we ever seen in existence until now. Um, but there's a question, you know, will the U.S. rates go negative? Right now, they are they look like pygmy rates, but they're actually towering over the rest of the world. Well, the other thing is, can the negative rates truly lead to the smooth recovery I was asking you about? Historically, has there ever been a smooth recovery or has it always been a jagged edge where something gets dramatically hurt. I mean, clearly 10 million people out of, out of jobs is, you know, not smooth. That is, you gotta, we've got to get Ken Rogoff on the line, call Harvard. I mean, he's got much deeper 
uh, bench on economic history than I do, but um, we should get you know, <laughs> we should. We want this guy on our podcast. Who Ken Rogoff? Right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, um, he wrote the book. It's different this time. Um, he had a co-author too. Um, but anyway, the it's, it's fascinating—a a real history of financial crises. Um, and it does seem they're always, um, there's always a lot of volatility that accompanies them. But it seems that historically, you know, again, we have this thing called the price mechanism, everyone. <laughs> if we let it operate, even as frightening as it can be, um, things usually correct themselves uh, without too much intervention. It's just not politically palatable, I think, for... Um, those in power to watch wages fall, which is a price, of course, to watch um, prices fall. And that uh, deflation is what really scares the Fed because it renders any interest rate policy they have really the only tool they use in the economy uh, renders it useless. So they're trying to also protect their own ability to influence the economy, you know, uh, so we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know um, how much more treasuries have to give in terms of positive returns, right? Now, the long bond is, what, 1.8% on the 30-year treasury? I, I never pay attention to that in a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so it's a pretty low rate for 30 years tying up your money. And then still better than, say, Germany, you know, where you're getting a, under half a point or around that. You think we'll get that low? I think um, it's very possible, depending <clears throat> on what the economy um, does. So we'll see what one and a half percent mortgage. Uh, let me say, I think the Fed is committed to trying it if if they feel it's necessary. That they will try because interest rates. Be... I don't think interest rates are naturally. Um, so, no, no, the, the question would be negative unless you push them. <laughs> no, no, so the question is, do you think like, did they fall or were they pushed? Is the always the question? And the, the, I think the central banks can push a bit, but I also don't think that they're, you know, they're extremely pro cyclical. The central bankers might think, and we might believe that they're in control of interest rates, but I don't really think that. I think they more than anything can exacerbate an existing trend. So we've had a deflationary trend and they've been right to be fearful of it. And now in Europe, they're negative interest rates. And that might not normally have happened without these extraordinary. So you can get a 30 year negative efforts. interest rate. I don't We did briefly have that. And then, you know, uh, that was around the time Austria floated their hundred year bond. And I thought this is crazy. And then the bond price doubled because the rates went, they were negative. They went deeper into the negative territory. So you never know what uh, can happen. 2020 certainly should have uh, admonished us, warned us of that. Obviously, you're, you're a value investor. You're nothing. I don't feel like nothing's really changing from week to week in your portfolio. I'm sure you're selling uh, things off like you talked about Bed Bath & Beyond where you realized it. A five-year trade in 90 days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, a little more than 90 days, about nine months, but nine months. it was fast, yeah. Better than five years that you expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what is it uh, you're doing with your research time, right? So, you know, obviously you spend a lot of time researching right now. 
Mm-hmm. You're spending, you know, you, you know exactly where the market's at. What is it you're looking at right now? Wow. Um, well, there are many things. You know, we've um, from long ago talked about the precious metals. And, you know, one of the Wall Street bets gang most recent cries was rallying around the silver squeeze. Yeah. So the silver squeeze happened this week. And that boosted some of our portfolio holdings. We've had um, precious metals in a corner um, versus cash. I think it's um, a similar allocation waiting to, for us. And so we've had money in platinum, which is uh, normally it trades around uh, 125% uh, per ounce, the price of gold. And it's literally around half the gold price. So um, we think there's much more upside in that uh, corner of the precious metals market. But we've had some silver, too, and that's rallied. And, you know, it's sort of reckless. <laughs> you know, you look at something like First Majestic Silver, which is not a high quality company, particularly. I don't mean to demean them, but they have a promotional style of management, you know, always over promising and falling short. But they had the foresight to make their ticker symbol AG, of course, which is the periodic chart symbol for silver. And so with the silver squeeze, Everything goes up that has anything remotely tied to silver in the name. Silver miners like uh, Silvercrest, which is actually a better company, SILJ, because it looks like silver. SLV, the silver ETF. PSLV, the physical silver ETF. All those things just (laughs) get swept up. It reminds me of when Twitter went public. And there was a company called Tweeter Home Video, which or Home Audio, which was a bankrupt speaker manufacturer. And the stock went from like six cents to $60 or something crazy because a lot of retail uh, day traders, et cetera, just uh, mixed up the ticker symbols. The wrong button. Yeah, yeah, fat finger. But uh, it's, it's pretty funny. So when I always laugh because I think, you know, the efficient markets hypothesis people really have to think now <laughs> about their theory, you know? So you did a fair amount of research in precious metals this week. Mm-hmm. And still looking, you know, those, um, again, the, the price of gold's been wobbling a bit, which is normal after a big run-up like it had in early 2020 or mid-2020. But the, the companies that are mining for it have been very disciplined and they're enjoying record cash flows. I mean, literally record cash flows and paying down debt dividends are increasing across almost the entire gold and silver mining sectors so do you think that will continue as well yeah yeah i think there's been with again a bit of a a give and take an allocation shift among larger investors in the institutional space toward more undervalued names Um, we've seen it ever since the election um, especially in the energy space which had been pretty beaten down um, in some of the mining space, like I'm talking about. And of course, we're seeing it now in these, uh, the sort of retail fed to, you know, for the short squeeze. I mean, look, GameStop's a melting ice cube of a company, you know. Neil, did you go to try to get a PS5 there? I, I did try and get a, not a PS5, because my wife works for Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. I tried to get the new Microsoft system, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. were still out. out of stock, right? Right. Out of so stock, you can buy them online for like uh, 1100 bucks near Christmas. I wanted to buy one just to play with my nephews at Christmas. It did not mm-hmm. work. And that's the reason for GameStop to still exist, right? <laughs> and they couldn't quite 
manage it then. Yeah. But that wasn't their fault. That was no. scarcity by by desire and by COVID, right? I think both mm-hmm. of them try to mm-hmm. do that to to let the reviews come in first. Yeah. I, still it's hard. Yeah. I still don't think it's easy to get one. I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, AMC was smart, right? When well, the stock went up, they... We just want to get this on the record here. Poor Santiago. What's that? Created video game system this Christmas. No. Um, well, he got a he got a gaming computer. So okay, okay, okay. It's a big he, yeah, like, big step up for him. On the weekends. That's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you were saying about AMC. Oh, I was going to say their management was clever. They, you know, retired a bunch of debt and uh, issued some stock at these ridiculously high prices. Uh, you know, as the shares rose, they were they took advantage. Um, but but it is fascinating. Really going back to theaters and droves the same way. Like, is an opening weekend going to be the same anytime soon? I think um, the big one for me has been James Bond. Am, am I really going to go with opening weekend for James Bond? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's generational, and of course, I do think always. You know, there are always a group of um, um, dedicated. <laughs> I don't want to say hardcore, but you know, just like with uh, certain industries, like uh, you know, cruise lines, and um, just certain things, just have such a um, um, dedicated, almost. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's following. Yeah, yeah, but fanfare, uh, fanboys like Apple, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it uh, even evangelical in some cases. Like I have a couple of clients, and they just love to go on cruises, and I never <laughs> Tesla's can hear enough about the cruising and so hold on, how they keep counting on is that evangelical user right that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what their stock price yeah and, so, and some businesses just have that timeshare cruising i think theaters have a smaller cohort than we've seen it'll probably be somewhat reduced right but there are people who just really love to enjoy movies in the theater and i do see some of those being vocal about uh wanting to go back to the theater i have larger concerns too about things like opera and you know um live theater yeah which generally attract an older audience. I think they're probably going to suffer for another few years before older people feel safe to gather in large groups. Hold Um, on, what about jazz? You must be worrying about jazz, of all things. I don't know. Maybe jazz people are a little more uh, YOLO. (laughs) Like, they'll be willing to get in, you know, small, smoky clubs. Only live. I don't know if you can socially distance, right? Yeah. But... um, Yeah, sort of different experience. But I do, I mean, all the, the performing arts generally, I think um, I worry about that. And, of course, theaters. And you've got, um, you know, companies like AEG uh, and big uh, concert and uh, festival promotions companies. So there's a lot that uh, will take a while to come back. You know, uh, Britain, they did a study, and it said even after the – vaccines are coming about 24 percent of the respondents said that they wouldn't do anything for two years i mean that's I've a quarter like of this. the people saying i'm not i'm still going to be very careful i'm not going into well, any I, large gatherings some of the sharpest doctors i co-invest with out of creative destruction labs 
said they just weren't going to leave their house like for a while, for a very long time. And I was like, okay, including uh, and what, including a uh, guest we've had, uh, mm-hmm. right? So you just you know, no reason to leave. No mm-hmm. reason Better to leave. safe, right? Better to be yeah. safe, right? Uh, yeah. So I think that's a very real thing. I think again, that sort of square root <laughs> of recovery is most likely to be experienced by us, and it's a real question: How will the market react? Right? It could go in several ways. Last year. We had a very real economic crisis, and the stimulus came and went right into the financial sector. And the, as the Wall Street bets guys say, stimmies, stimmies, stimmy checks, <laughs> stimulus checks went right to their mailboxes or direct deposited into their bank accounts. And so, boom, they Rock, had ready, yeah, to- ready to trade their $1,200. And boy, have many of them done it, you know? Yeah. So that could, again, be a tailwind for financial prices. But God, at some point, it does seem like we'll become Venezuela. You know, stock market's up 10,000%, but inflation is 14,000 or something percent. You know? you don't, you're not predicting that we're actually going to become as bad as Venezuela. No, 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 no. no. I, I think the dollar is still too widely held, right, for it to become the like the Bolivar. But, I mean... It's one of those things, you know, I mean, a slippery slope analogy has been overused, I'm sure. But, you know, when things start to sell down, I mean, the dollar's rallying a little bit now, but it's been really weak. Um, and the U.S., you know, in terms of stimulus relative to the size of our economy, I think we we're the biggest in the world, biggest economy in the world. And we authored the largest stimulus at almost 12 and a half times, uh, 12 and a half percent of our GDP. So. Run down, let's run down a few uh, news items here that we both get a chance to comment on. Mm-hmm. Um, your very favorite person um, after your wife and son, Jeff Bezos, mm. <laughs> stepping down as CEO mm-hmm. uh, to take on other projects. So, I mean, other than going to Mars, what is he going to do with his time? Wow. I don't know. I think he's uh, – um, I hope he'll follow uh, your other fellow Washingtonian – Bill Gates, right down the in the street. sense of, yeah, yeah, Redmond <laughs> hanging on there to do some uh, very interesting things. He certainly has a great organizational mind, there's no doubt. Um, and he's clearly a long-term thinker. You know, I've gone back and read the annual reports from 2005 and earlier and when he was saying, as our, lo- as our investors know, <laughs> which it doesn't seem they knew because I think the average investor back then was holding the stock for three months, which is still really the case today, probably, you know, high turnover. But uh, as our investors know, you know, we're long-term, we're lowering prices, we're sharing the benefits of scale, these kinds of ideas, basically, he was promoting. And certainly he built a huge moat around that business and showed that you could have loyalty online. And I mean, it's fascinating. Well, with all of that access to the AWS data, you've got to mm-hmm. wonder all of the other things he can take on, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon's taking Amazon's trying to eat the world anyway, right? From mm-hmm. healthcare to you know drones, right? Whatever it is they want mm-hmm. to. Um, mm-hmm. You wonder if they're completely talked about. Thing. Uh, you you wonder about like fresh water. Would Amazon, you know, would would Jeff Bezos have enough data somehow? in his storehouse, right? Maybe the, amongst the most data in the world other than maybe the CIA, I imagine Amazon has that. <laughs> uh, you know, to take on some really interesting projects. Um, mm-hmm. 
how we wouldn't have figured. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually encouraged by it. And it, it kind of shows um, a side of the man that we always thought was there. Like, you know, um, Amazon was definitely something he was very proud to build, but it's not a compulsion. There's more to him. You know, we all contain multitudes, but uh, sometimes we all get stuck, right? Even if we're very successful at a thing, it can stop you from doing something else that might be equal or greater. So, Robinhood raises three point four billion. Yeah, it yeah, was that's... like overnight after they couldn't support that games, GameStop stock, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. You know the markets are funny. I mean, there still really is some antiquated plumbing. It takes three days for a trade to settle. I don't understand why that is when you can move cash by Swift to Russia in the same hour or something. Right? You know, you can did you interview um, with Elon Musk, or did you hear, read about it? No, no. What was Musk saying? Elon Musk was on Clubhouse. Well, which which interview? I mean, he's always opening his mouth. Mr. Promotion. Yeah. One of tech um, was on Clubhouse uh, being interviewed, and mm -hmm. uh, interesting interview about lots of things he's working on. Uh, at the end of it, they said, "Do you have anything else to say?" And he said, "Yeah." Let's get up the Robin Hood CEO. <laughs> Let's ask him what happened. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it sounded like he either wanted the crowd to march on Washington or to, you know, go against uh, Robin Hood too. Needed to come out of that. That uh, well, you know, I think it was a. Uh, we keep missing these learning experiences. I think the Robin Hood crowd, um, you know, when they um, started to limit trading in certain stocks. You have to recognize that as a clearing broker, and if they're self-clearing trades, they have to put up capital to make sure that the trades actually settle and clear. And since it takes three days for an equity trade to settle, they're on the hook for that capital for a, for a while. And, you know, it's fine when GameStop's 500, <laughs> a share now when it's below 90 or wherever it is today, I don't know. Um, you know, that can be a significant liability. And just the, the hundreds of millions of dollars every day that they had to come up with, it was just, I'm sure, chewing a hole in their balance sheet and they couldn't borrow fast enough. And so they had to halt the trading just really for back office reasons. But instead, they, you know, couched it in this sort of moral suasion. Well, these are very dangerous, high volatile stocks and blah, blah, blah. And of course, that drew, drew the ire of the trading army that you can't do this. <laughs> Famous last words, Americans, we've been spoiled. Yeah, sometimes it's just physically impossible. To um, do certain things. So. Will GameStop GameStop continue to slide, or will it get back to its legendary five hundred number? I don't know. You know, you've got a company like Nikola, which is a worthless. Um, there's nothing to it, but that stock, um, even after Trevor Milton, the disgraced CEO, left and admitted that he didn't even have any plans that he created himself, that he bought those from. Kazakhstan or wherever he got the plans for his semi trucks, his uh, hydrogen fueled semi trucks. Um, that stock should have gone to straight to zero, but now the you know it's the most shorted because really there is nothing there but a shell, um, and yet that stock still trading as if it has some value. You know, I can't remember the last time I looked, but it was over fourteen billion in market cap for what. So it's possible that that uh, GameStop, even though it was a five dollar stock a year ago, could stay at you know the ten fifteen dollar range or whatever. I don't know. 
but it's not going to stay at 500 or 100 or 90. Um, that's what happens with these financial jumping beans, as Jim Grant called them. They just uh, <laughs> jump up and down and all around and eventually settle back to where they were or below usually. We'll go to your favorite. But not always. Yeah. We'll go to your favorite subject next. Uh, SPAC you. Oh. <laughs> wow. You want the Shaquille O'Neal SPAC, huh? I like Shaq. I, I Shaq SPAC. <laughs> He's got the best name for it. The general thing, but I have not caught up in a while to see all of the interesting SPACs coming out. I was I'm a little surprised by. I'm actually. Oh, your, your, our friend Shamath has got probably. He's what? Now. Is he up to six or something? Yeah, you're soon to be ruler, right? <laughs> the country of California. Is, a, is he still an, a citizen of Canada? He grew up in Ottawa. I, you know, me and Chumath don't talk about a citizenship. You don't, yeah, no, you don't have that deep personal history connection. <laughs> you just talk about stocks. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so far in 2021, there's been 106. Um, yeah, it's really a quite the record. Um, it's extraordinary. I would more likely bet on Shaq's now that we're talking about it, um, because he's got brand power. He would only do something that helped his brand, or that his brand could help rather. Um, he may be one of the more intelligent Spacks out there. I don't know. You know, when you really look at the under the hood, of course, it's it's certainly crazy and another sign of um, financial excess. I mean, these are blank check companies as the name implies who knows <laughs> what you're going to wind up with although you do have an exit but there are fees that chew up a lot of your investment anyway well, one so. of our guys had, had a couple of conversations um and i don't think it makes sense because you know the road show isn't quite the grueling thing it used to be it's a bunch of zoom meetings mm -hmm. so like mm -hmm. you know taking 90 extra days to go potentially get picked up and you want to be covered by a major investment bank. So if a major investment bank isn't sponsoring your SPAC, mm -hmm. you know, you're not likely to get pulled into an ETF. You're not likely to be as traded or get the volume. So if you're doing something really interesting, it may not make nearly as much sense as it did yesterday mm -hmm. when the boom was at its peak. But hey, uh, the year is young and uh, negative interest rates could affect SPACs too. And see, uh, well, 23andMe is going public via SPAC. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, is Bumble going to go public by a SPAC or are they going to have an IPO? That's a dating app, Neil, of course, the most important uh, technology that we've <laughs> we we always. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dating apps? Um, I, I hope. <laughs> I better check. <laughs> I'm going to tag her on this, on this episode. Uh, I better ask my wife if she's used any of those. <clears throat> But uh, uh, so, um, but yeah, the, I mean, certainly there'll be a few examples um, where things work out. But generally speaking, the math is against the way that the SPACs are created um, with sponsor fees and everything eating up a bunch of the investment. It just reminds me of those kind of Reg D private placements and some of the investments that uh, we've seen come our way by, by great promoters, right? Um, yeah, um, or and reminds me of the tulip mania, or the um, South Sea bubble. You know, where famously in Charles McKay's book, you reference South Sea bubble the most of all the bubbles. Yeah, I think because it 
it caught it just as a reminder i mean uh sir isaac newton one of my favorite minds of all time um uh, got caught in that snare right he cashed out um at a nice profit and knew it was a mania but nothing uh i don't know who said it john kenneth galbraith or lord Keynes, that nothing incenses a man more than seeing his friends get rich or <laughs> whatever right and he watched his friends get rich and triple their money from where he sold out and he came back in with a large sum, of course, very close to the peak, and uh, sold out at a at a big loss. So, um, so I just it's a cautionary tale because we can look back and even have a wry smile, but we laugh. But we're subject to some of the same um, social forces that compelled even a very extremely intelligent, thoughtful man like uh, Sir Isaac Newton to make a huge mistake gambling. So, um. So uh, let's talk about COVID, your mm -hmm. favorite subject. <laughs> um, I like the eyebrows. You can do that again every time we say COVID. <laughs> uh, you know, the cases are down. Everybody's really excited, especially um, the market about Novavax. Um, and like really anything, CureVac, anything related to a vaccine is now mm -hmm. gold, right? Not just, uh, it, it's interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know you're not a scientist. Um, I know you're an investor who just studies the things he knows. Um, you're looking at it. Do you get more worried about cases? Of course, everybody worries about cases spiking again. But do you think about it in the construction of your portfolio quite a bit right now? Um, no, uh, not in any immediate sense. You know, when um, in many ways we're uh, iconoclastic in our portfolio construction, and you know our holding periods average something like four years or longer. And um, when you look, even the the average in the mutual fund industry for holding a stock is a little under three months, two months in change. The average individual investor holds a stock something like five months. So the world, um, and of course you do have people like Warren Buffett <laughs> who hold things forever, right? Don't don't trade and other other great investors. And I think you know they're onto something. Um, you really have to think about an investment in the longer term in the equities or in any sort of uh, equity type of investment through a full business cycle. Um, I can't tell. It's funny in business, Neil, you know this. You know a company which is on a good trajectory. They might have a bad quarter next quarter. They might have some unexpected costs. They might have a problem with their prototype. They've got a fix. But you can see when they're onto something. And you can look at a four-year or five-year runway, three-year runway even, and say, they're really going to be okay. They, these are minor problems they're going to fix. The market reactions, though, tend to be very dramatic in those short-term events, right? Um, and that does provide opportunity as well, but uh, it's something that you know can really cloud our vision, um, because that that stimulus can throw us off our game if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention to those things that are most meaningful in the long term. And it, and it really, again, from a business standpoint, when you've got solid managers, you know, quality people at the helm, good process. I mean. You see the revenue growth or whatever metrics you're watching moving in the right direction. 
you can paint a much better long-term picture in short term. In other words. Yeah. 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 So not not too much. And I just think really what's, we've heard this word a lot, what's essential, right? Um, in the global economy. Um, and a lot of it's, uh, you know, I've mentioned before things that we've just kind of overlooked. Technology has gotten the largest wallet share um, and certainly mind share in the investment markets. But you've got things like shipping and, of course, the raw materials, you know, copper mining. We talked about gold and silver, but we need a ton of copper if we're going to really move to renewables. Um, nickel <laughs> for the batteries. We just need a lot of these things that we really haven't found um, replacements for the ore bodies and the reserves that we thought we had. Um, so in the natural resources space and the commodity space, there's a lot of opportunity uh, and in some of the basic industries that shuttle our <laughs> goods and stuff around we'll need. Uh, the arteries of commerce still have to be kept open. Interesting uh, venture news. I'm moving more through uh, venture news and med tech. Um, <laughs> NFX, who I think's got the very best content uh, on venture, like anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So if you haven't checked them out, nfx.com. Nancy Fox X-Ray. Um, started a bio fund. They're typically, their fund's named for network effects. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting to see more and more people moving into it. I think I said to you before, I think the, the launch, COVID is like the equivalent of the launch of Sputnik for healthcare in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to see quite the acceleration and the healthcare race and the healthcare innovation race. Really, we're not even in the, we're not even into the first quarter of the first inning. Mm -hmm. And what's NFX thinking their advantage will be? Informational, analytical? Yes, and they also hired a couple of uh, vets who have done well with companies. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they um, have the data. Um, is this going to be? Data, uh, but yeah, uh, certainly they're looking at, at uses of data, but um, it's too early to tell because they haven't made, no matter what they're saying, because they haven't made investments really yet. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, the two people heading it up have, and they've had successful companies. Mm -hmm. um, so, including like Twist Bioscience and oh, Twist and oh, Twist, yeah, yeah, Twist. I saw an investment presentation, and this man said the best thing Twist can do to improve their bottom line is stop selling <laughs> any sort of bio products. Just sell stock. <laughs> That's what they're good at. Anyway, stop immediately spending on R and D. Just stop, stop, stop. Um, so they at least the the two people running it um, at least take the approach of having built a company. Forget what they're doing today, right? What mm -hmm. they, they they built a company from scratch. Both of them mm -hmm. uh, have an idea of what's going on, and so you know, I kind of think the more the merrier to to bring innovation to market. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, some other kind of fun stuff in med tech. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank puts out an annual report. They put it out a while ago, but. Uh, venture funding uh, went from 10.8 billion in healthcare uh, in 2019 to 17 billion. Wow! Yeah, yeah, big number, big jump. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also look like telehealth's on the rise too, right? Telehealth saw 30 percent more visitors in uh, during the pandemic. 30.1. Mm -hmm. 30.1 percent increase over pre-COVID the year, like sort of 12 months. 
uh, year yeah. over year. Because you're more likely to go see your doctor that way if you can now, right? Mm-hmm. Why well, look, I've talked to many doctors and many who were steadfastly opposed to telemedicine. You know, I want to look my patients in the but, eye. But, the, so, if you've got a basic quick question. Correct. I just scheduled my doctor, showed and up. We had no, the they've in two minutes I've ever had. I got what I needed. I left, right? It was... They were all converted now, though. <laughs> There's no one who's still in that choir. They all well, left, and they're all telemedicine fans now. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the folks, one of our friends uh, in Israel, um, actually had a small issue, and mm-hmm. um, the emergency team brought the doc via the tablet mm-hmm. uh, to the emergency, and everything was fine. Actually, as a result, wow. Uh, it was good to have the doc there and you know now you're bringing you know now you can see even better use of telehealth when you can bring a doc um to an emergency right and I'm, maybe mm-hmm. they've been doing that for a while um mm-hmm. but phillips is actually going to produce a tablet just for this uh just to do more telehealth so. do you think like the the best neurosurgeons or whatever are going to sit in a control room like a trader with a bunch of screens well and they it, can do five or six at once Hold on, and two surgical hope so one day, right? <laughs> I always think, right? Forget telehealth, Te- telesurgery, right? Like, we'll just mm-hmm. send advice to your house. I, mm-hmm. um, no, I don't think so. If you're the best, probably not. You'll probably be focused on one at a time, I hope, yeah. <laughs> I even wonder how traders do it. you got 10 screens. It's like, man. This <laughs> for shorts, this one's for longs, this one's right, 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 right. It's a lot of data coming in at once. So yeah. Your brain's amazing. Um mm-hmm. interesting to see um the pre-IPO performance for venture backed healthcare companies in 2020 was up one hundred percent. Wow. So I mean that starts to tell you about where in the, the healthcare race slash space race. Is there um a uh, how does that compare to the overall increase in funding across the board, Neil? I, I actually don't have the rest of the venture number. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I wonder how that percentage increase compares to the general increases. I think tech was up too. So mm-hmm. I think also you've got a bunch of weird things going on, right? Uh, healthcare is being boosted by everything um, going on right now. Mm-hmm. Biotech's being boosted by age, right? So you've got mm-hmm. COVID, you've got age. You've got more dollars flowing into venture. Um, mm-hmm. You still have this massive pressure happening where everything's too expensive in healthcare. So anything that brings it down is good, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So those are a lot of very positive tailwinds, Neil. What? Uh, that's why I said I think it's going to accelerate. It's, it's going to. Yeah. It's, what's a potential wrench in those spokes? What would slow things down or be a counter trend that? Uh, one should watch yeah um longevity drugs <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> live longer um mm-hmm. you know it seems like there's more to it i don't really know whether we'll actually live longer but it seems like yeah a lot more money into that just like um growing hair back uh propecia right uh, mm-hmm. a lot of drugs going a lot of money going into to, to a specific sector that led to better uh growth of of hair that Obviously, take. The vanity will always win, right? If you can save someone's, make them live longer and healthier or make them look better, younger, yeah. younger skin, whiter teeth, <laughs> more well, hair. Like, bet, on the, yeah, bet on the vanity, okay? You know, is, is global warming going to affect this in some way I don't understand or the bees dying? I, I don't know. 
Like, like I can't tell you all of the, the risk factors here. Um, mm-hmm. But those are pretty strong tailwinds. So I think almost no matter what, they're going to likely continue. Um, I don't know what you think. As I mean, it's, it's probably as big as our imagination as things that could stop it. But it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the overarching one I just worry about are the credit markets there. So bizarre, but but yeah. innovation in healthcare will continue either way, right? When, when the when the economy collapses, which I'm just going to say, there's going to be a moment where we finally have our correction, and mm-hmm. it, we go down. And, that's and you will be right at some point. Yes. <laughs> you will we're be right. We don't want to save money. We're mm-hmm. we're still going to need efficiency where there's you know the most inefficiency in our entire U.S. system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe venture dollars are going to go down, but there's still going to be this clamoring for this. So maybe venture dollars don't go down in healthcare quite the same as they might in tech. Yeah. 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 Um, that's all I have for today, Chris. Anything else well, you want to No, no. I think this has been, it's been wonderful to chat with you and just think about uh, where we are and what's going to happen. I am watching this carefully, though. I think, you know, again, I just have this... Um, unsettled feeling and of course i look i could be wrong i don't know but the the vaccine rollouts are going now apace i think once we get them into the drugstores the walgreens and cvs's of the world and you know we'll have a um and once everyone or the larger portion of the uh, population is immunized then um i think it'll be a real challenge for the financial markets to see what happens you know that'll be an inflection point i'm Sure, I just don't know which way it'll take us. So it's worth watching, everyone. Do you want to say bye and wish them well and all of them? <laughs> <know? laughs> I always want to wish my audience well. I want to thank you all for listening. This has been a nice experiment going live. Um, we're going to do my co-host. Yeah, he shocked me with that. We're, and in spite of the butterflies in my stomach, I hope we've done well and not uh, not wasted any of your valuable time. We're so glad you spent this with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spending time with us today. We're going to do more live sessions. We're still going to broadcast in all of our normal locations. And uh, we'll do our best to answer questions literally right afterwards um, on comments. And in the future, we'll react to comments a little better during the show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. 